From CBS News Bay Area, this is the Afternoon Edition. Right now on the Afternoon Edition, Oakland's police chief clashing with the mayor as he fights to get his job back. Good afternoon, I'm Elizabeth Cook. We'll get to that in just a second, but happening right now in Oakland. We are live at Oakland Technical Institute where students are celebrating and mourning the life of Tyree Nichols. They teamed up with the anti-police terror project Youth versus Apocalypse and Curry J to honor the 29-year-old who died days after a brutal beating from Memphis police in early January. They're performing poetry, dancing, and painting a street mural. It's all to fight back against what they say is systemic injustice. Students are describing the vigil as an expression of rebellion through joy and community. Meantime, East Bay lawmakers rallied this morning outside Oakland City Hall to denounce threats of violence against elected officials, especially black women. This comes after Oakland City Council member Carol Fife took to Twitter exposing some of the voicemails she's received. Many of the messages are filled with racist and violent language, and now they're asking the community to publicly condemn these personal attacks. So I'm hoping that all of you guys speak out and speak up. For those that you love and the hate that you see. Mm. Thank you. The Anti Defamation League and Princeton's Bridging Divides Initiative have started tracking threats received by public officials. The data revealed that 42.5% of incidents target women of color. And right now, Oakland's police chief is demanding to be put back on the job and calling on the mayor to take action. Mayor Sheng Tao placed Chief Laron Armstrong on leave last month after investigators accused him of failing to properly discipline a sergeant. The NAACP sent a letter to the mayor today. It says the organization remains, quote, deeply concerned by Armstrong's sudden placement on administrative leave. The NAACP adds that it looks forward to meeting with the mayor later on this week. Our Dahlin has more. I believe I should be reinstated because I did nothing wrong. At a press conference on Sunday, Chief Armstrong says he now has more information to back up his claim. My review confirms that the investigators and the federal monitor conclusion about me is not supported by evidence. Frankly, the confidential report and the information provided by the monitor is embarrassing. It's inaccurate. It contradicts itself about the role that I played in this case. And the report focuses and targets me. Last month, the new Oakland mayor put the police chief on leave based on the summary of a report, which says the chief failed to hold the sergeant accountable over a misconduct case. The chief says he finally received a full report on Wednesday, about 60 pages. The report relies heavily on vague and subjective information without factual or evidence. The report says the department did not properly punish a sergeant for a hit and run crash. I do think the chief is responsible for holding people accountable when that information is brought to him. And in this case, that information was not brought to me. So I was not able to take the proper action. He adds department policies also prohibit him from getting involved in this type of internal affairs investigation. As we start Black History Month, it reminds me that fairness and justice is something that African Americans are still seeking. The idea that I can look at this report and see how unfair it is makes me question, have we moved forward in any way that we would allow this type of report to tarnish someone's career? 
Armstrong supporters blame the situation on the federal monitor, Robert Warshaw. The department has been under federal oversight for two decades, and it was supposed to end in May. Warshaw and his team make roughly a million dollars a year overseeing the agency. They claim Warshaw wants to keep collecting his paychecks. We're asking the mayor again, again, and again to re state the chief back to his duties. The mayor said last month she's not punishing the chief, but Armstrong says he's not going down without a fight. I believe Oakland is a city built on fighting for social justice. Mm -hmm. This is an injustice. Mm -hmm. This is not fair. Now we have reached out to Mayor Shang Tao, but we have not heard back yet. Now to an unfolding tragedy developing right now in the Middle East. A 7.8 magnitude quake struck right at the border of Turkey and Syria. Look at this. This devastation is widespread. More than 2,700 people are confirmed dead. And that number is expected to rise as thousands are still trapped in all that rubble. Tina Krauss brings us the very latest. The powerful earthquake struck near the border of Turkey and Syria as people slept. And daylight revealed the scale of the disaster. This man says 12 families were trapped here and no one managed to get out. Rescuers worked quickly and carefully in the bitter cold. Some, still buried in the rubble, posted videos on social media begging for help. Medics rushed some of the smallest survivors to hospitals in the wake of the 7.8 magnitude quake. But there was more devastation to come. A 7.6 quake hit 12 hours after the first one, and dozens of aftershocks caused more buildings to crumble, triggering panic and complicating search efforts. The damage stretches for hundreds of miles. In the Turkish city of Gaziantep, parts of a historic castle that stood for more than 2,000 years are in ruins. And just over the border, in the last rebel-controlled corner of Syria, millions displaced from civil war are facing more misery. We need help from everyone to, 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 to save our people. Turkey sits on one of the world's most active fault lines and is often shaken by earthquakes, but this is one of the strongest to hit the area, felt by people a thousand miles away. Now, this is the deadliest earthquake in the region since 1999. More than 17,000 people were killed when a magnitude 7.6 quake struck northwestern Turkey. All right, let's switch gears for a moment and talk about our weather and a welcome kind of reprieve from the storms this week, it sounds like, Darren. We're going to quiet down for a while, yeah. Liz, and we're going to warm up, too. So as we look ahead towards the later part of this week, daytime highs are going to be climbing well up into the mid and upper 70s. Oh, I take that back, upper 60s, near 70. We'll be about three degrees shy of 70 by the time we get to about Thursday or Friday. Numbers out there now have us in the low to mid 50s. We'll take a look ahead to today's numbers. We're not quite getting close to 70 yet. We'll have to settle for daytime highs. That come up to right around 60 degrees. We'll make it all the way up to 62 in Santa Rosa, but Santa Rosa, your numbers have been doing quite the opposite on the mornings. We get real cold up there in the mornings, down into the low and mid 30s. We had a frost advisory today. We may not need to do that again tomorrow, but just know in the mornings you got to bundle up. We'll look at the warm up and a small chance for perhaps a drop or two of rain 
by this coming weekend. We'll see how likely that is in the complete first alert forecast in a bit. Liz, back to you. All right, Darren, thanks so much. A short time ago, state leaders met with FEMA and the Small Business Administration to outline support for victims of the recent storms. Senator Alex Padilla and California Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara shared what state and federal resources that people can tap into. For more information and eligibility, you can visit Senator Padilla's disaster resources page on his website. Some of the resources include the uh, NFIP flood insurance program, low income home energy assistance, and tax relief for storm victims. There are also links for California shelters, warming centers, and recent FEMA eligibility.